Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached Word of God in agreement to the Scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. The Word of God penetrate our heart. I, I say it a lot. I mean it every time. I have no idea what you may have gone through this week. I have no clue what you may have had to wade through this very morning just to be here. I know for many, including myself, our day started very, very, very early and uh, didn't just start thinking about church a moment ago, but we've been planning for this a long time. And so let's just ask God to help us push aside everything else that may legitimately even be pressing upon our mind, heart, and schedules. And let's just let the Spirit of God minister to our heart here today. Lord, I love you. I thank you for your goodness. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy. It is everlasting. It endures. It strengthens. It empowers. And it imparts. And I'm asking you today, Lord, to let the authority of the Holy Ghost speak through me today. And not just to others, but I pray that you'll speak to me as well. And let the anointing of your word pierce our heart and penetrate our minds. I pray that we can set our agendas aside and that we'll just focus upon you and your word and the kingdom's sake now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And you may be seated in the fear of the Lord. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to join me in Genesis 22 and um, the 22nd chapter of Genesis, and we're going to begin reading in verse number 1. I'm going to read several more scriptures than I, I normally do, and um, I pray that you'll just bear with that. I realize that many people will recognize this passage, and, and many will relate to the story, but we must remember that not everyone has heard. Amen. Not everyone has heard. And so no matter how many times we visit or even revisit a passage, I pray that God will anoint that word and so quicken it to our heart that we can hear it again afresh and see it again afresh. It's a lively word. It's a living word. And I'm asking for the Spirit of the Lord to touch us and to strengthen us now in the Holy Ghost. In Jesus' name. And so as we read this together, just read along with me, not necessarily together in unison, I pray that the Spirit of God will just touch our hearts again. Amen. The book of Genesis chapter number 22 and verse number 1. The Bible says, And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham. And he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, the Lord said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. 
And Abraham rose up early in the morning without pause or hesitation. And Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son and clave the wood for the burnt offering and rose up and went into the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder in worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac his son, and he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and they both, or they went both of them together. And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, My father. And he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for the burnt offering. So they went both of them together. And they came to the place which God had told them of. And Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him upon the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here am I. And he said, lay not thy hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him upon, up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. I know that's a lot of reading, but I wanted you to hear the story from beginning to end. Many times we kind of dive right in and miss perhaps some things that I want to travel back through and pick up today. I recently read an article that spoke about the three components that seemingly make up the life of mankind. Try as we may, we just cannot bypass these things. Among every individual that's sitting here today is affection. There's affection on many levels. I understand that, that many people show their affections differently, and we're not here to judge that nor to give you an outline of what we think it ought to be. But we do have affection in our hearts. Some people show their affections very openly and they're not ashamed of that. That's just, that's just the nature of who they are. When they're happy, it just, it just glows. It just beams all over them. They are very affectionate. They show that in every area of their life. And another component that we all deal with is sorrow. And on some level in this very building today, there is sorrow. There is sorrow about dreams that have seemingly slipped through our hands like sands of an hourglass. 
There's sorrow of things that we fight, perhaps health conditions or um, just maybe unfulfilled areas of our lives. There is deep sorrow. That's, some of that sorrow is very, very real. It is almost palatable for some that are sitting right here in this building. For others, that sorrow is uh, perhaps better defined at this particular moment as just disappointment, just some things that seem to itch within our heart. But nevertheless, we have that component of sorrow. And then there is the component of trials. There's no one in this building or no one in this world, for that matter, that is exempt from trials. We all have trials. I know that when we are in the throes of things, it just looks like as we, as we glance across the aisle and we see certain families, it just looks as though that there's just a beam of sunlight over their life, their marriage, their home, and their whatever. And that there is no wrinkle in their garment. It just seems like everything they touch. You ever heard that statement? You ever met anybody? It just seems like everything they touch turns to gold. It just seems like whatever they do, they're blessed. Well, uh, I understand where you're coming from, and I too have made that very comment. I've also lived long enough and been associated long enough with some of those very people that, uh, that we assumed everything they touched, just everything seemed to come right out in their favor. I've also been close enough to realize to them to realize that everything is not as it may appear. And while it may be true that, that life has been good to them and blessed them, it has not been without heartache and sorrow and trial and some other aspect or area of their life. And so, and so maybe they have a family that, that seemingly uh, has the absence of a lot of dysfunction. Let me just say this, every family has a little bit of dysfunction. And uh, uh, even yours. Uh, has a family, has a has a family of a little bit of dysfunction. There's just some uh, some cross threadedness in all all families. That's just the nature of how things go. And maybe there just seems like there's the absence of that. It, it just looks like from where you sit that that everybody just gets along so well and every everything is just harmonious. But uh, maybe it's an other area of their, and that may be true. But maybe other areas of their lives that are not quite so public. Maybe there's a lot of trials and suffering and sorrow, things that you don't really see there. And so there's just no way to escape all of that. Few people ever become what God desires for them to be until they have submitted all of these aspects of our lives to the hand of God. I had to submit my affections to the Lord. I have to submit and yield my sorrows to him and I certainly have to submit my trials to him. I want to talk today about the life of Abraham and not in its entirety, of course, but just this little wedge of his life and maybe mention a few things before and a few things after, but I really want to just talk about the meat of this moment and the passage that we have read from. I want to talk about the call that was upon the life of Abraham from a very early age, all the way back to the book of Genesis chapter 11, when he was still living in his father's house, in his father's land in the Ur of Chaldees, when the Lord spoke to him and his father and said, you need to come out of here and I'll, and I'll take you to a land of promise. 
even when he was tripped up by the desires and the will of his father toward the 11th chapter of Genesis and they, and they stopped short of where God really wanted them to be after his father died. The voice of God spoke again into the ear, the heart, and the spirit of Abraham and said in chapter 12, verse seven, I want you to come on now, Abraham. Come to this land of promise. I want you to come there. I want you to... I want you to realize that I'm going to bless your life. I'm going to help you. We read about the passage of Scripture where, where the Lord said to Abraham, just if you'll walk this way, and I'm kind of paraphrasing this, but wherever the sole of your foot steps, I'm going to, that's going to be yours, and I'll bless you. I'm, I'm going to bless you, and you're going to be the father of many nations. And even though he was an older man and his wife, an older lady, and even though she was barren, God was making all these promises to him that just seemed, in all reality, far-fetched. It just seemed beyond the realm of human reasoning, and certainly we would not charge Abraham for laughing. We would certainly not charge, we do, but we shouldn't charge Sarah for laughing because I think all of us would have a little hint of doubt in our life if the Lord just kind of stepped right to the bow of our lives and just spoke something as, as outlandish, if I may use that word, as we find God speaking to Abraham. There would be a little, say what you want to, and you can sit there with your best little religious face on this Sunday morning, but I believe there'd be a little chuckle in all of us. <laughs> wow. Wow. And so we find this call of God that's upon the life of Abraham. And today, from that call, I want to talk about my subject today, the lessons of the call. As you read through the Holy Scriptures, you see this common thread of truth in the lives of so many, male and female alike. God uses our affections, and, and God uses our sorrow, and God uses our trials. And in them, he shapes us and he molds us and he makes us who we are. There are some people in Scripture that from all intent and purposes, they're just a little bit stoic, but God takes that affection. God takes that bent in their life and he uses that. God anoints that and he glorifies that and he turns that into a tool by which he can use that individual to propagate the gospel in some form or fashion. Other people, their passions are way out on a limb. And of course, uh, many come to mind, but Simon Peter always seems to bless his heart, find himself at the top of that overpassionate list. But, but God seemed to take that, what we deem sometimes unharnessed, unharnessed uh, affection, and God uses that. He, he used that so much. He would have been frankly, the last person we would have trusted with a lot of things, and yet God gives him the keys of the kingdom. And he used him on the day of Pentecost to be the voice and the presence of the other 11 to explain what this is that meant when, when Joel was speaking in Joel 2. And so God used him, and he used those things, and, and uh, he used the sorrow of, of Jeremiah. He used the sorrow of Ezekiel, and I... I mean, if you want to read about a strange journey, read the life of Ezekiel. I mean, God really, you think you've been asked some odd things. But if you read the book of Ezekiel, I think you'll set the book down feeling like you've got to get out of jail free card. Because God really asked some strange things of the man 
by the name of Ezekiel. He said, lay on your side this long. And so Ezekiel lays for months on one side. And now the Lord comes along. Time, time to, we're going to change. Ezekiel, oh, thank, thank the Lord. I'm thankful that I'm through with this. He said, I'm now get on the other side. Ezekiel was a man often hated and despised and, and, and misunderstood. And people made fun of him publicly. Oh, yes, they did. And, and, and Ezekiel was told by the Lord right up front, I, and this may have led to his sorrows, I don't know, but the Lord told him right up front, I'm going to send you to a stiff-necked and a hard-headed people, and they probably won't even hear what you've got to say, but I want you to go and, and preach, and I want you to teach, and if, and if nobody shows up on Sunday, please don't nail your resignation to the front door. Don't leave your keys on the pulpit, just keep preaching and come back. Well, what if I come back next Sunday and the crowd's slim or no one shows up at all? Just keep going, Ezekiel, and I'm gonna tell you from... The, the vantage point of our humanity that would have caused great sorrow in our lives. But the Lord just explained it all away with just this one phrase, this one phrase that, that for a moment could sustain us. But I'm going to tell you that there had to be days and, and, and even weeks or perhaps months that this statement was just seemingly inadequate. The Lord said, I'm going to send you, and if they hear you, they hear you, and if they don't, they don't. And they're hard-headed, and they're stiff-necked, but I'm going to make you more hard-headed. But he said, all of this, that they might know there was a prophet in their midst. All of this so that one day in eternity, which was a word that, that Ezekiel could scarcely grasp, one of these days in judgment, a word that Ezekiel could barely wrap his mind around when someone says, I had no one to show me the way. He said, I've got one man that was a voice, a prophetic voice in your midst. And so sorrow, he, we see how God used the sorrow and the, the trials, the trials. Many could be mentioned, but what about Job and and, and the trials of Job and how, just to be honest with you, that has been a, an encouragement to so many, including myself. The trials of David, the trials of others. But what was God doing? He wasn't just picking on people. God wasn't just pulling somebody out of the crowd on some egotistical power play and say, watch this, how I lift this man up and how I squash this man like a bug. Or God wasn't on some ego trip. No, God was using all of that to shape and to form and to mold all of the destinies of these individuals. And so there is no one, no one in this room or anyone who will hear this message, no one in life that will be immune from these things. You see, we all have to make this journey and walk through them despite how we think or how we feel about them. I want us to look once again at this, uh, at this age-old story of Abraham and Isaac and discover some of the lessons of the call. You don't have to read very far into this chapter before we discover several things. And that is that, that with a call of God upon your life, and please, let me just let me put a comma right here long enough to say this. I'm not talking about just a call to a pulpit ministry because I believe everybody in this room has a call upon their life. And so with your call and in what you do and in the space of eternity where God is allowing you to minister right now, I want you to understand that the call of God upon your life, no matter how warm and fuzzy it was presented to you, I know that some people, the call of God has been very dramatic. 
It has been very powerful. It has been very undeniable. But no matter how warm and fuzzy the call of God was presented to you, you hear me today, the call of God comes with its own fair share of challenges. The Bible says in Genesis 22 and 1, and it came to pass after these things. After all of these blessings, after all that Abraham had been through, after walking on the shore and saying that's going to be yours, and after looking in the stars and the dust and the sands and saying this is going to be your heritage, and after being called the father of many nations, after all that Abraham had experienced as a call from God, here was the call. But after the call, there was a series of things that began to take place to shape and mold and form him for his destiny. For Abraham, the challenge is to take his only son, and offer him for a sacrifice. Now, this wasn't just any son, as you well know. This was the son of promise. And as has often been underlined and highlighted for your attention, Abraham was not a babe in swaddling clothes. But Abraham was grown enough and there's a lot of debate as to his age, but Abraham was grown enough, and we'll just leave it like this, to make his own decision. And so he wasn't, he wasn't in some backpack on Abraham's, uh, on the back of Abraham trudging up the mountain. <laughs> no, he wasn't, he wasn't in some car seat, so to speak, uh, as Abraham brought him up the mountain, but he walked side by side, step for step with his father. And when the Bible talks about him being bound on the altar, I mean, it, it, this wasn't a father picking up a child and laying him on an altar and, and just saying, be still. There was a, here was a man, at least a teenage man from 17 to 37. I mean, here was a, a, at least a grown enough man to realize what sacrifice and altars were all about. He had enough sense to realize. He had enough experience to understand that this altar is not just a place of incense. This altar is a place of blood. This, this is a place of death. This is a place of sorrow. This is a place of suffering. And so he wasn't just a son, but a son of promise. There's no doubt in my mind at all that the call of God has both its highs and its lows. And I know this from experience. And that's not a statement of sympathy. But I know this from experience. That there are moments with the call of God upon your life, you can feel like you can climb any mountain and you can climb over any wall. Come on, anybody else here got a call on your life? And you just feel invincible. I'm not boasting. You just feel like you can do anything in the world because God has called you. But if you just hang on three minutes from now, <laughs> three days from now, you may feel like, I don't know if I can do anything. I don't know if I can do anything at all. I feel grossly inadequate. I, I remember Brother Ron Beckton preached a district conference for us many, just a few years ago. And if you know anything about Brother Beckton, he's a great man, to say the very least, and pastors a great church. And in a minister session, uh, he was talking about he was talking about this very thing. He said, you know, sometimes I sit on the platform of our church and I, I look around at what God has given us and the ability and the talent God has blessed us with. And he said, I just feel like within myself, there is just nothing we couldn't accomplish. 
And he said, then there are other services sitting on that same platform in that same chair. I'm not sure if we can accomplish anything. Because the call of God is, can be a slippery slope. It can, feel, it can be filled with many, many of life's challenges. And, and so the call of God now is demanding, demanding something of him. God said, I, I, I know that you were really up a moment ago. I realized that everything was okay. And if you just read up to the very verse we began with this morning, everything was completely normal in Abraham's life. And then out of the clear blue, the sky and the, and the earth comes to a stop, so to speak. And the Lord said, Abraham, where are you? Here, here I am, Lord. I, I've got a request. I'm fixing to ask something of you. There may have been a little warm, fuzzy feeling in the spirit and the heart of Abraham. God, God is going to ask me for something. He had no idea what was about to follow. And so now the son, this son, Abraham, had been blessed with God, was now commanding to offer him as a gift. Isaac was Abraham's hope of the future. Yet now the call of God was demanding for him to sacrifice him. The call of God isn't given for our consideration. The call of God isn't handed to us to say, what do you think about this? The call of God is not placed upon our life to write an essay on and turn it back in, let the Lord know what we thought or what we think, amen. But the call of God is given to us for one thing, and that is obedience. Genesis 23 and three, the Bible says, and Abraham rose up early in the morning. I'm humbled to find that, that it just seems like without hesitation, Abraham acted immediately. Apparently, he didn't hesitate at what God had called him to do. Always note this, that, that, that obedience has an element of sacrifice in every facet of our walk with God. When you say, Lord, whatever it takes, there's an, there's an element of sacrifice that's gonna come along with that. All throughout the parables that even Jesus taught, obedience was always demanded, but also I wanna point out that it was always rewarded. And so the call of God will have its challenges. Then the Bible says in verse 20, chapter 22 and verse 2, if you read along on the screen, the Bible says, take now thy son, this was the command, the voice of God speaking to common man. Take now thy son, thine only son, whom thy, thy only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains of which I will tell thee of. Period. If you know the story, you realize this, that while heaven was filled with the booming voice of God and his instructions in verse two, for the next little while, heaven went silent. We hear God so clearly speak, so adamantly declare these instructions. Although these are words that without a doubt are filled with immeasurable difficulty. Don't lose sight of the fact that God was speaking, that God impressed, that God was speaking directly into the life and the heart and the spirit of a mortal man named Abraham. However, when the words which I will tell thee of ended, that wonderful season of God speaking was about to end. 
In verse 2, God speaks. Heaven is filled with his word. And then heaven grows silent. The only thing that's left to do now is just follow the instructions of the word of the, of the Lord. Now I want to just pause right here and encourage somebody that may be sitting here or somebody that may be listening. If God speaks and gives specific instructions concerning a matter, it is often followed by a season of silence. Let me just say that again. I've had the Lord speak undeniably, Brother Gibson, to me. And the Lord gave undeniable instructions. And then it just seems like heaven folded away. And now it is up to me as to what I'm going to do with this season of silence. Because see, it is our nature, we would like God to say something to us and then every three days we'd like God to remind us. You're doing a good job at what I ask you to do. In those times when we doubt Really, was that the word of God that spoke to me? And was that the voice of God? And really, uh, was that message, really, was it really aimed at me? In those seasons of doubt, we would really love for the phone to ring and somebody, when we answer, somebody on the other end just say, hold on, hold on. God told me to call you and tell you just to hold on. But that doesn't often happen. Because many times, God just instructs. And so some of the lessons of the call is how are we going to handle the silence when God has given us the words of instructions? What are we going to do when God tells us something? Are we going to be like Abraham and just get up and say, boys, gather your gear and, and we're heading off? Or, or are we going to doubt and God really does give us time to doubt and gives us time to, to question? And so if you're here today and, and you are discouraged because you haven't heard God speak again concerning that matter for just a season, I'm going to ask you today to just hold on and realize that if God warned us and if God said yes about something or if God said no about something, no matter how much silence followed that, we need to hold on and stand our ground because God doesn't make mistakes. Amen. God doesn't call us three days later and say, I was wrong about that. God doesn't call us seven days later or seven months later or a year later and say, you know, after I thought that through, I just, I, I want to tweak that. I want to, no, no, no. God knew what he was saying when he spoke the word. And if heaven is silent in your world right now, you've got a preacher behind this pulpit that is reaching into your life to say, hold on. God's not on an ego trip and he's not playing games with your life nor with your soul, but he is using this season of silence to teach you a little lesson about the call of God that may be embracing your heart and your life right now. And so you need to ask yourself in this season of silence, what am I going to do with the first set of instructions? Unless we carry out what God has spoken for us to do, you're not likely to hear the next set of instructions. Amen. <laughs> Amen. God wakes you up in the middle of the night and tells you to drive downtown to the corner of 5th and Main. You're going to lay there till daylight and never get the next word. 
Because where God's going to give you the next word is at the corner of 5th and Main. <laughs> Amen. I'm going to have to first get up and do what God has already spoken into my life. I'm going to have to first rise. You know, some people are walking around with, a, with, with just, you know, a foot deep experience with God because they want God to unfold it all. But what I say to you today is you're going to have to walk in what you do understand. You're going to have to walk in the truth that has already been revealed to you in order for more truth to come your way. Amen. I say, Lord, speak the word to our heart and then let me walk in that. Let me walk in that truth. And so that is a word today for somebody that's trying to make your way and get your feet up under you. That's your word for the day. Amen. You walk in what you know to do. You walk in what you already know to do. And as you walk in what you know to do, amen, more instructions will follow. And now a word for the church. While somebody's trying to gather their feet up under them, how about you put down the gavel? How about you take off the black robe of judgment? How about you quit measuring them against somebody that's been in the church for 40 years? Amen. And just let God reveal to them as he will. And you know what? You probably weren't as far along as you think you were. You may not have been as far along in your walk with God as you think you were if we could really take us back to that place in time. Amen. I'm glad that I, I, I'm glad that I'm not the man I once was. Amen. I'm not. I'm, I'm not where I want to be, but I thank God I'm not the man that I once was. Amen. <clears throat> I'm not the pastor I was 25 years ago. Amen. 25 years of trial and error. 25 years of sometimes getting it right and sometimes getting it wrong. I hope has made me a better pastor. Should have along the way. And that wasn't a left-handed way to get you to amen. But with great deference to all the left-handed people. You're left-handed for a reason, so it's because God made you that way. And so I say today that we need, I'm glad somebody didn't cut me down the first time I made a mistake. I'm, I'm glad somebody gave me some room to grow, and amen, I'm, I'm thankful for that, that, to grow as an individual. And so I pray that God will help us, that we'll just walk, let us walk, let us walk. And so here's another word of instruction to the church. Amen, not only, not only should you leave your hands and your tongue and your conversations and your mind off of those that are trying to make their way, don't, the second word of instruction is don't digress to where they are. Don't walk backwards. Because people need something to walk toward and to live toward. That doesn't make you better than them, more holy than them, or more righteous than them. You're not more saved than they are. But the process of sanctification is just that. It's a process. And so we need to hold on so that somebody, so that somebody knows what to do and knows where to go. And so, and so if, if, if when on my 50th birthday I decide I want to be 18, then I, have, then I have jarred, I have taken away the foundation of another generation that is trying to make their way there. Does that make sense? And so... And so hold on, just hold on to where you are. God has a place for you. God has a, a reason for that place. 
And so I want to hold on to that. Amen. Boy, there's a meandering spirit on me right now, and I'm going to resist that. Amen. I think I am. I'm still thinking about it. Amen. This is where I really needed somebody to say, Preach. The book of Genesis 22 and 3, I shall resist. The Bible says, And Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son and clave the wood for the burnt offering and rose up and went unto the place of which God had told him. Then, Genesis 22 and 4 On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes. I I have often thought about this season of silence that that Abraham had to endure. Between verses 3 and verse 3, this three-day time frame, Abraham, his son, and his men undertake these three days of travel. I realize that it depends on what you're doing, but three days can be a very long time. A three-day vacation is not nearly long enough. Three-day weekends just blow right by as though they never happen. If you were standing in an ant bed, three days would seem like an awfully long time. (laughs) And so it just depends on what you're doing. Three days, three days can be an awfully long time. Three days was enough time to have an opportunity to turn around and go back home. Three days was enough time to convince yourself that that's not what really the Lord meant. Surely, he, surely. Three days was enough time to rehearse that your wife's going to have a baby, the son of promise, and you're going to be the father of many nations. And he had some legitimate paperwork to kind of prove all this because now he was no longer called Abram, but now Abraham. So he had, a, he had enough time to compare all of his notes and say, somehow I misunderstood this. Somehow this is not what God meant. He could not say all of this and now say this. This just makes no sense. And so he had enough time to rationalize all of this away and hear me today, go back home. He had enough time to do that. He had enough time to change his mind. It wouldn't really take a big imagination to realize how difficult this three-day journey of silence must have been. Abraham is the only man in the camp, think about it, that even understands the magnitude of this journey. For everybody else, it's just a journey. For everybody else, it's just another day. They've they've loaded up the animals. They've saddled everything up. They're all headed out. It it was really probably not all that out of the ordinary for this group of men in particular to have been on a journey somewhere. Abraham is the only man in that camp bearing the weight of what they're really doing. He's the only one among them that understands what's going to happen When God says that place that I will tell thee of. When God says at some point, Abraham had to wonder, will he say stop? Will he say turn left? Will he say enough? What will this place look like? What will this be? He had enough time to really think this all out. Remember, the only thing that that Abraham does not know about this event, he has already been given every bloody detail except the where. 
I know what will happen. I just don't know where it will happen. And so he walks. He has to walk with great trepidation. God had told him what to do. He just had not told him where to do it. And so just because Abraham was obedient did not mean that this was not a tremendous trial. I I know we read the end of the story. And so we often just jump right to the end and man, we shout right over the details of the pain and the heartache and the uncertainty. But Abraham had to walk through all of this. So it doesn't mean that that it was not a great test. I preached last weekend about holding on to things with loose hands and holding them loosely and and whatever those treasures are. And so Abraham was learning a lesson here that I've I've been blessed, but now now I'm being asked to sacrifice. I was given a gift and, and it just seems like no time that... This baby was born in our home and I've got so many memories of of, of hunting expeditions and conversations around the campfire and now God is asking me to give all this back. And so he's asking himself, am I willing to slay everything that God calls for me to relinquish? Two days finds Abraham with even more time, day two finds him with even more time to consider what God is asking of him. The silence of the second night just has to be an un an unparalleled weight upon his shoulders yet he kept pressing on through the silence it's hard to imagine what went through the mind and the soul of Abraham during this interval but he kept walking and that is the lesson of the call another lesson of the call is that that God in uh, in our walk with him and in the call that's upon our life thankfully thankfully God incorporates high places Genesis 22 and 4, the scripture says, and I saw the place afar off. God will always lead you to specific heights that will have a huge impact on your walk with him. And I want you to think about this with me just for a moment. I didn't try to list them all, but for Noah, it was Mount Ararat, a place of new beginnings that had been ushered into his care by the end result of the flood. For Abraham, there was Moriah, of course, the subject of our of our lesson today, a place of victory, but it was certainly ushered in on the wings of a cruel test. For Moses, there was Sinai, a place where the law was given. It was there that God spoke. It was there that the finger of God wrote in the very rock. For Moses, it was was Pisgah, a place of vision to see the promised land. For God, in his infinite mercy, to say, Moses, because of your error, you, you can't go there, but I've got to show you something. I don't owe this to you, but I want you to understand that you didn't buy into a pipe dream. And so God took him to the top of Pisgah and he was allowed to see the promised land. For Jacob, there was Bethel, that undeniable place where he said, surely, surely, God has been here. On top of Mount Carmel, it was there that the prophet Elijah stood down 450 prophets of Baal and God answered by fire. And so much like Abraham, we will see those ranges and those, those things in our life. However, step by step, we are where we are today, prayer by prayer, trial by trial. That's what brought us here today. <laughs> it really is. It wasn't the vehicle. It wasn't the person you rode with. No, no. What, what brought us where we are today is just, just step by step, 
prayer by prayer. It was just one trial after another trial and and you're here, you're where you are. And you know, people are always looking to secrets to success. You find somebody with... Uh, that, that is financially secure. What's the secret to your success? You find somebody that has longevity in their marriage. What is the secret to your success? And you find somebody that has longevity of years and people want to sit down with them. What is the secret to your success? You just keep going. You ask somebody that's been in church for years, please don't think that they had some glory cloud over their life and it never rains. Some of the most victorious people that I've ever met in my life, I've held their hands standing at coffins of loved ones that seem to leave this world prematurely as though the sun set at noon. They didn't get bitter about that. They just rose to the occasion and trial by trial. They just kept walking. And, and everything is not all right. The sense of life being full of roses. And then I want to bring this to a conclusion today with this. The Bible says that in Genesis 22 and 5, and it's not on the screen, but I just want to read this in part, because when they made this three-day journey and they got to the place where he could see afar off, I want you to understand carefully what happens right here at this moment because there's a real lesson for us. Because it's here that the Lord turns to all of those that had walked with him. All of those that had been talking with him up to this point. For three days, they've been walking like a mighty army band. And now the Lord speaks to Abraham and he shows him the place. And Abraham's response was to all those that were with him, Abide ye here. I and the lad will go yonder and worship. I didn't come to paint anybody's world gray today, but I did come to speak honestly and tell you that some of the lessons of the call that we learn is that there will be seasons of isolation. There'll be seasons the choir won't be humming in the background. Mm -mm. There'll be seasons that nobody will be playing on the organ or the keyboard softly. <laughs> it's just you and God. I know the preachers will understand this and pardon me for just speaking to, to a small segment of our church for just a moment. But I've often used this in talking to not only ministers here in the church, but in other places that it, it's kind of a custom. I like it. I'm glad they do it. But it's kind of a custom that when our guest speakers or our speakers, including me, or uh, our musicians kind of hang with them a little while and play softly while they make some opening comments and read their scripture. And, you know, I, I'm sure we could do without that. But I like that. It kind of settles you in and from a speaker's point of view just kind of gets you in the vein but I'm going to tell you there's that little awkward moment when they stop playing <laughs> am I right <laughs> when they stop playing now they, they all walk off like they got nothing else they're off I can hear them punch the clock as they leave the platform <laughs> you're on your 
on, buddy. It's just you and them. That moment of isolation. And it's at that moment you either better speak up or shut up. Because it's you either have something to say or you don't have anything to say. You're not leaning on the strength of the praise team. They left. You're not leaning on the strength of the musicians. They stopped playing. It's just you and God. And I, I hope you get that little weird illustration. But I'm going to tell you that in your walk with God, there will be seasons of turning to others, whether you say it literally or not, and you're going to say, abide here because God has something for me to do. And you know, there's something about isolation. I know we're all wired a little bit differently. But there's something about that isolation that can really get close to where you live. Now, my wife and I enjoy being together, and that's a wonderful thing. Since what we do <laughs> puts us together every day. But my wife and I can go hours at a time and never really talk. But I'm really thankful that she's there. Because even though we haven't spoken, I just have her presence. And then every now and then when she's not home and I'm there by myself, something about that isolation that's awkward. You know, I say this to her all the time when she's away and she says the same thing to me when I'm away. She said, it's just so quiet around here as though, <laughs> as though we walk around with symbols just clanging them all the time. It's just... There's just something about isolation that the, the silence can be deafening. And so I, Abraham has already been isolated. Follow me. I'm, I'm wrapping up, I promise. Abraham has already been isolated from the voice of God. And now he is being stripped from every human relationship that he was just involved in. I'm telling you that the word of God is speaking to a heart here today. This is what I know. Heaven was silent and now God strips him of human relationships that he was just involved in just moments ago. And for now, it's just going to be Abraham and Isaac. And so God's call will always be, always be kin to isolation for seasons. It will always be tied to sacrifice. There will be journeys and miles of loneliness. When Abraham came at last to Mount Moriah, he told his men to stay there. And if you will, I want you to make this connection in closing as we stand. I want you to make the connection between Moriah and Calvary. At the foot of that cross, most men stopped. Sure did. At the foot of that cross, even those that had followed him through the thick and through the thin, as we may say, stopped. Twelve had been there with the Lord the whole three and a half year journey, but most of them will not be there when he dies. He fights this battle for the most part alone Abraham also has to fight his battle alone and can I tell you 
that you will have to fight your battle alone as well. You never have the right to worship, one man said, until you pass through the fire of sacrifice alone. At first glance, this may seem strange to you and I, but it may be the seasons of drought. Please hear me. It's not the rainy seasons that really bring strength to trees. It's seasons of drought. Because in seasons of drought, the tree says, if I'm ever going to endure, I'm going to have to reach deeper into the soil. And in the pursuit of finding water to sustain itself for another day, what it really does is wrap itself around another rock. The intention was just a sip of water to sustain me. (laughs) But the end result was something to hold me in the time of the next storm. And so what makes us who we are is not necessarily the seasons of blessing and the seasons of wonder, but really what makes us who we are are seasons of drought because it's there that we either are going to stand or we're going to fall. And so we wrap our roots deep. I know for some of you, especially locals, you will understand this illustration that many times in the low areas, low spots, when the river rises and Maybe great rains come and and begins to hold water. Holds water not for just days at a time, maybe weeks and even months at a time. It's then that the trees are more at risk to fall. (laughs) You would think, oh, they got it made now. Look at all that. Look at all that water. They got it made. They're going to make it now. No, you see... What really sustains them is seasons of drought and uncertainty. And so we will experience that. And whether we're willing to admit it or not, there's been experiences of drought in our walk with God that so affected us, it pushed the roots of our soul down deeper. Amen. It draws us closer. And so that's what we were really singing about earlier. It draws us closer. I end with these words just a verse and a chorus, not to sing. I'm just going to read them of an old hymn. And I'm going to date myself, but I'm going to say again, I was raised on this kind of affirmation. I'm not shooting at new songs by no means. I love our worship songs. But I was raised on words that said, "'Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus and to take him at his word. Just to rest upon his promises and to know, thus saith the Lord. (laughs) Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I've proved him o'er and o'er. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more. Amen. Let's lift our hands and love him for the lessons. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. 
Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.